Good morning. Please open your Bibles. I hope you're getting used to carrying them with you so you have them in your hands to use as a, a text. You can underline stuff, make notes about things. Uh, that's a good practice for us to have. You know, I know we used to our digital modes, but I think it's really helpful to have a book in our hands too, especially when this is our textbook for life. Acts 2 is where we are today. <clears throat> the most successful people and organizations always focus on the fundamentals. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Lance down here, my grandson, was playing in Martinsville at uh, John Wooden Middle School. And opposite from where we were sitting were all these, these, all these collages, these pictures of the great UCLA coach, John Wooden, who came from Martinsville, pictures of him as a young player and as a coach. And it reminded me that he was, he was always, often kind of snickered at as a coach when he would take a new player and he'd teach them how to put on their socks. And then he would teach them how to lace their shoes so they wouldn't come undone when they played. He always did these basic things because he wanted, his, he wanted his players to do well at every detail. Coach Vince Lombardi would bring the Packers together at the beginning of the season, hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. It is so easy, the older a church becomes and the bigger it becomes, to, to forget the fundamentals, to become cluttered in a calendar and forget what we're really to be about and how we're to function. See, it's easy to confuse busyness with faithfulness. And we want to be careful that we're not a church like that. And if we are a church like that, that we go back to the basics so we can do exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Any church can get called up in, uh, in forgetting why it exists. We are called to make disciples, to be disciples, who make disciples, who in turn make other disciples. And so last week when Luke was preaching, he was reminding us of this dramatic event that happened when the Holy Spirit was empowering these very first believers. And when the gospel was being preached, the Bible said they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. Something changed within them so that they were buried with Christ in baptism and they emerged new people, different people, new life had come to them. I trust that anybody who comes and is a part of our fellowship, who walks in just to visit, knows that these are people who have been cut to the heart because of the truth of the gospel. I hope that will be true. It needs to be true. Now here's our text today. In chapter two of Acts, beginning with verse 42. They devoted themselves, these early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This text compels us to revisit the fundamentals of what it means to be the church. First of all, what, before we do that, let me answer the question, what's it mean to be a disciple? What is a disciple? We can have different understanding of that. It's really very simple. It means, it means living life as Jesus lived it. Or put it this way, what would, what would your life look like if Jesus were in your shoes living it? What would your conversations be like if he had your job 
What would your, how would your job be carried out? If he went to your school, your college, he was, if he was on your campus, if he had your set of circumstances, if he had your family, how would Jesus do your life? That's how we want to live. There are certain things to be valued as a disciple. Here are four values that we claim being disciples. First of all, we value spiritual formation over self-improvement. Because any of us can make ourselves better without Jesus. Lots of people do. That's not the same as being a disciple. A disciple of Jesus sets himself up to be transformed by the Holy Spirit within so that we, we live, live in the image. We become the image of Jesus Christ. We are conformed to his image. That's what this is about. The Bible, New Testament calls that sanctification, becoming like him. Second of all, we value love over knowledge. Not instead of knowledge, but over knowledge. Knowledge is important to the degree that we take that knowledge and we do something with it. Uh, we, we used to have a dog named Jesse. Hated that dog. Because, not that it was a dumb dog. It was so smart, the dog learned to climb our chain link fence to get out. I didn't know dogs could do that. And it wasn't our dog for very long. Um, but, but, but you know, the, the dog was intelligent, but disobedient. See, there's so much that we can know well. But if we don't practice it, if we're not obeying it, then our knowledge doesn't mean much. We also value freedom over form. That is, we understand. So those of you who are educators know that there are different intelligences that students have. In other words, we learn differently. My wife is a very uh, ver uh, visual learner, not auditory. That's why she forgets anything I ever say. All right? <laughs> It has to be written down, right? So, so some children learn through practicing in a classroom different activities. They're different learning activities because we're wired differently. We learn differently. The same thing is true as disciples, that all of us are shaped differently. How we get to Christ early. You know, there's Jolie being baptized. Later in the day, uh, later today, uh, Eric's going to be baptized. Jeremy's going to be baptized. And, and, and each one of these three come to Christ differently. Their stories are differently. And how they grow from today is going to be different because God made them different. So that means that any church you go to, things are going to be a little different because communities are different. Faith communities are different. That's why there are different ways to worship God. Because we express ourselves differently and we don't, we don't evaluate somebody's worship. There's freedom in the form of worship and in learning and all other kinds of things. We value that. We value we over me. In other words, our faith is communal. We're to be together in this journey of faith. When Jesus chose the 12, there were sometimes he spoke one-on-one. -on -one, sometimes he just spoke to Peter, James, and John. Most of the time, it was all 12 at once. They walked together from town to town. They studied. They, they, they reflected on Jesus' teaching together. Um, they ate together. They, they scratched their heads together when they didn't know what he was talking about. It was, a, it was communal. And so when we come together on the Lord's Day, our primary direction is vertical. We're here to worship God. But if it's only that, we're going to miss a great deal if we don't understand that being a disciple requires a, a communal movement together, that we share each other, we're in circles, we're 
listening to each other's lives. So based on these values, being a bystander doesn't fit with the new life that Jesus ushers in. So let's take a look at their lives. How did they do church? How did they do life? First of all, who are these people? The years 33 AD, Jesus uh, was crucified three and a half years into his ministry. The place is Jerusalem here in Acts chapter two. It's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the three primary feasts among the Jews. There's, the, the city is packed with Jews because if you're a Jew, at least one time in your life, you'd like to get to the big city. They're used to farming communities, small little villages. Remember the disciples went to Jerusalem in Matthew 24. They walk into Jerusalem. They say, whoa, Jesus, look at these buildings. And, of course, he predicts then the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But, you know, this was a rare sight. The city is packed. All kinds of Jews. Not only Jews that live in Jerusalem in the surrounding area of Judea, their area, but there are 15 nations that we read about last, last week's text. Fifteen nations, people who had converted to Judaism, were in town to celebrate. And so here you have the apostles. They're in this upper room, probably where they had the last meal with Jesus. They've been praying. They've been waiting for this whatever God's going to send to them. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, as our Mr. Luke preached about Dr. Luke last week, there was a sound like a violent wind and they started speaking in different languages they'd never been trained in. And people started hearing the sound that came. And, you know, the streets of Jerusalem are pretty narrow. I picture them coming out, out on the streets. People keep coming together. And then they're walking down. They have to get somewhere where, they, where all these people can get together. They had to go on the temple courts. And Peter's preaching a language. And, and, and here over here is John preaching a language. Some people are gathering around their areas. They're hearing the message of the cross of Jesus. And 3,000 people are cut to the heart. And they are baptized into Jesus Christ that day. What a day it was. These first believers, see, being, being a Christian is not a matter of temperament. Our, our secular culture would like to say, you go to church, uh, that's just what your temperament needs. I don't need that kind of thing. I don't need religion even. I don't need, that's what, that's what people will say. Being a Christian is not a matter of temperament. It's not a matter of culture. Some people would say, well, you know, you're Italian, so you're Catholic, you're German, so you're Lutheran, you're Scottish, so you're Presbyterian. And in that day... You were either in or out. You were either a believer in the resurrection of Jesus or not. Sadly, man has, com has completely complicated the matter and making it confusing to the watching world who can't figure out why in the world we have all these titles that separate us, sadly. We grieve for that. But amazingly, when we come together so different, man, are we different, aren't we? And yet we are one. When Diana and I first traveled overseas, it was the early 90s, as a married couple, first time overseas, we went to Jerusalem. We didn't go uh, as, a, as a group. We went by ourselves. And we stayed in the Arab quarter because at that time our church was supporting Arab believers. And we stayed in this hotel that was pretty dank, our room. I mean, there's nothing on the walls, bare light bulb. It was clean, but uh, slow running water, gunshots in the background of people uh, uh, you know, you always hear that in Jerusalem, in the area, and, and calls to prayer of the Muslims five times a day. I mean, you just sense darkness. But then we met 15 or so believers, and immediately being with them, we knew we were with family, people who love Jesus. For those of you who have been on a mission trip, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's something that just calls us together and binds us together. It is so rich. That's what the early church had, these 15 nations coming together, and they were awed 
by the beauty of the gospel. Now, why did they come together? They were doing the same things, but large group or small group. Verse 42, basically three things. They were learning. The apostles' doctrine was a part of their being together. Every week when Luke and I preach, it's our responsibility to communicate well the scriptures. And then for you have something to do when you leave this place, something to obey, something to expound in your life as you leave. Second, there was loving. These people couldn't stop being together. They didn't sit around and wondering, ah, I wonder if I want to be together or not. They, they, they couldn't stop being together. They were in the temple courts. They were in the houses. Uh, they, 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 they shared in common. This, this, word, this word fellowship, as they were loving, they, they, they were in fellowship. That word is koinonia. Some of you know that word. And the root of that means common. There was a commonality among them, even though they were different. There's a commonality here. And every church has to work on their commonality. And we work on commonality by being together. And sharing our lives, talking about life, opening our homes to each other, being together. We confess our sins, our inadequacies to each other. We don't fear being known. Um, otherwise, it's not true fellowship. You know, being, being in fellowship is not, not simply eating together. It's, talk, it's being real together. It's talking about your struggles. It's being real about your, your, your temptations and about where you've blown it, where, how God has blessed you and empowered you. It's all kinds of things. And that, that's the danger. You know, the, the centerpiece of our vision is hospitality, both in this building for everybody who walks in, as well as our homes opening our doors. And the danger, there's a couple of dangers in this vision. One is making people a project, which you cannot do. None of us can be guilty of that. People aren't a project. They're to be loved well. But the other danger is you can open your house without opening your life. It's just because you have somebody sit at your table doesn't mean you're opening your life to anyone. And so hospitality is about the persons that we are, about welcoming people into our lives. We want to make sure that is done, uh, 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 done well. And as they came together, anybody who had a need, it was taken care of. They were a generous church. And I love that about Plainfield Christian. Whenever a need is made known, this church jumps up to meet it. I've always seen that happen in the years I've been here. And I hope we'll continue even doing more of that because a gospel-centered a gospel church, a gospel-impacted church is a generous church. And we need to keep practicing that. And third, there was liturgy. There was learning, there was loving, and there was liturgy. Now, liturgy is not a word that we use in our particular family of churches because it's usually, some of you came out of high church, maybe mainline denominations that practice liturgical worship. Liturgical is very formal. I, I like liturgical worship. Uh, I, can, I can worship in that, and there's some really great features. The, the, the root of liturgy, it's really about worship. The root of the word means work of the people. That's what liturgy means, work of the people. And there's no greater work that we do, that we render, than worship of God together. That's what we do. And so as, the, as these came together, they worshiped well by the apostle's doctrine, by the breaking of bread. That's why every week... On the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day Jesus resurrected from the dead, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by holding a little piece of bread and drinking a little juice. Because every week, everything else may be lousy. You may hate every song. You, you can't stand Luke's sermon. I know you like mine, but you don't like Luke's sermons. And, but, but, but if nothing is good, the gospel is always proclaimed at the Lord's Supper. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's the centerpiece of our faith. And that, and that event in history is the centerpiece of our faith. So there's learning and loving 
and liturgy. Now, about, about worship, let me say two things. First of all, their worship was both formal and informal. They met in the temple courts, and they went house to house. It was both. They came together to focus on the worship of God, and then they took what they gained from the apostles' teaching, and they, and they talked about it. And that's what is included in our vision, home groups, that, you, that we come together then we hear the, the, the word announced 25, 30 minutes on Sunday. And then when you're in home groups, you talk about further what was said, how to further apply it to life, drive it down more deeply into the heart level and all the crevices of our heart where we really keep, rather keep closed up. That's what the home groups are designed to be. And I trust in time you will, you will open your doors or you will, you will be in somebody else's open doors to do this. And second of all, their worship was both joyful and awful. It was joyful and awful. They came together filled with awe because of the majesty of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. They were celebrating. Sometimes worship is reflective, but primarily worship is celebratory in nature. We are here to celebrate what has happened to us. And who did it for us and made it possible for us to have life that is really life. Shame on us for not investing in worship. Shame on us ever if we worship like we're at a funeral service. Unmoved, unshakable, severe. Let's be careful about that. Well, what happened? What happened as a result of coming together? Can't stay just in 42. It's dangerous to look at one verse. Verse 47 says this. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Three simple lessons. First of all, the Lord did it himself. Nobody saves anybody. I don't convert anybody. You don't convert anybody. The Lord himself is the one who converts people to himself. But he uses you and me through conversations and life experiences too. He's the head of this church. I'm not the head. Luke's certainly not the head. The elders aren't the head. Gee, I'm really dissing you today, aren't I? He forgives me. He's a good Christian. That's debatable. Uh, Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And it's the responsibility of the leaders here to determine to seek the Lord's direction and help and wisdom as we move forward. So your best ministry to us as leaders is to pray well for us, that we can discern Jesus' leading and direction. This year. There are plethora of ways to communicate the gospel, lots of programs to be had, but the primary way Jesus has always used is person to person and life to life. That's what this vision is all about. He also, so the Lord himself does this. And second, he did, he did two things together. He added to the church daily those who were being saved. He was, he was saving people. He was adding people. And we continue to fight those in our culture, even people, people who claim to Jesus is their savior, but don't believe in organized religion or the church. They don't understand our God. They don't understand the New Testament. God has always expected his people to be together, to be in a community of faith, always. From the time they met at altars, to the tabernacle, to the temple, and to the establishment of his church. There's no perfect church. Ours certainly is not perfect. We have our issues. We have our problems. We have, we, we have all kinds of things we know we have to be better at, but we do know we still have to be the church, and we have to work on excellence in all areas. So if you think you're perfect and you're here and you're a visitor, please don't join us because you'll mess things up probably. 
You have to be imperfect to be a part of our church, okay? Uh, so I want you to know that he, so he, so he saved people, then he added people immediately. So when, 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 when people are baptized into Christ, they're put under that water, so they're being immersed into Jesus, but also at the same time, he's immersing them into his body, the church. Both things are happening, two immersions, us into him and him, uh, us into one another. Third, he did it every day, every day. He added to their number daily those who were being saved. We need to get back to expecting that, to expecting that and looking for that and having relationships like that. Now, I, I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know where you're on your spiritual journey, but, but, but two things have to be there. Your, your love for God and the way, the way you understand, the way you practice your love for God is loving his word. This is the way you get to know the Father in the scripture. And you're of a person who says, you know, I really like people a lot. I just don't like to study. Get over it. God expects you to handle the word well. That's why we're introducing the university model, so that you can be equipped to handle the scriptures well and express your faith well when that opportunity comes as you build intentional relationships with people who aren't followers of Jesus. You see that? That's what this, it's about equipping, being well-equipped to do that. So, you know, conversely, might be a person who says, boy, I just love finding more about the Bible. I love studying. I just hate people. If it weren't for people, I'd really like my life, you might say. Yeah. No. I mean, you, know, that you have to get over it. Because God has called us to love him well and to love one another well. And so it's, it's taking his truth that has captivated our hearts and loving people to Jesus. That's at the base level. That's what our vision is about. So we want to equip you to do that well through the university model. We, are, we want to obey the scriptures the command in Romans 12 is practice hospitality. And friends, our culture needs that today. It used to be that the church looked to be the centerpiece for morality, for goodness, for upright. That is not true in a post-Christian society. That's why we have to get outside of our walls, build honest relationships, build trust, so that we can bring them and acquaint them with Jesus inside these walls as we did outside these walls. And they find this place hospi as hospitable as they found your living room. That's what we want to see happen. So what's the fuel? Here's the fuel. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. They were praising. They, they couldn't stop praising. They were so thankful for what God had done to their lives. And so they kept learning from the apostles' teaching, they loved being together, being in fellowship together. They loved eating together. They remembered Jesus with the, with the breaking of bread. And then the, the breaking of bread in verse 46 there is different than the breaking of bread in verse 42. Verse 42 is the Lord's Supper. The, the, the breaking of bread in verse 46, that context suggests eating a meal together, being around a table together. And maybe you say, oh, I'm not very good. You know, some are more gifted at hospitality. But I do believe it's the role of everybody to be hospitable. And, 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 and as we open our homes, we open our lives. C.S. Lewis said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. That delight is incomplete till it's expressed. In other words, you watch a YouTube video, you tell your friend, hey, you gotta watch this. You read a good book, oh man, I want you to read that book. Did you read it yet? Now get that book. 
You listen to a new song. Oh man, you got to listen to this song. You play a new video game. Oh, play this game. You got to learn this. You know, we, what, what, what's happening? When we love something, we have to get it out. The beauty of our lives, friends, is Jesus. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is that beauty, that, that beautiful object is not really complete. That praise you have him is not complete until it's expressed. And we do that with other people in the testimony of our lives. So I have a little exercise for you. Um, and I want you to do this every day this week. All right? And, we're going, and you don't have to do anything with your bodies except for your eyes. It has to do about your eyes. Okay? So with your eyes, just the uh, first thing I want you to do is that you keep your head straight. Just keep your eyes up. Look up. Upward. That's a reminder. Are you in a living relationship every day with Jesus as Lord of your life? Every day. Every day, Lord, today, be my Lord. Be my Savior and my Lord today. That's looking upward. Now close your eyes. Closing your eyes represents looking inward because you're reflecting on whatever the Holy Spirit is teaching you through Scripture, through relationships, through family, through life circumstances, through any means. What is the Holy Spirit trying to help your heart be cut about? Where is he cutting you to the heart? Open your eyes. Don't have to move your head. Just move your eyes left to right. That's around. Who's around you in the body of believers that you could welcome into your home? To sit at your table just to share a meal. You might say, oh, I'm not much of a cook. Well, go to Taco Bell. <laughs> Bring tacos in. Who doesn't like a Taco Bell taco? You know, you know or, or, or a piece of pie. You don't, you don't make pie. Well, go to Walmart and get one. They're pretty good. You know, it's not that it's not rocket science, friends. It's sitting at a table, just enjoying people. You know, there are different levels of intimacy. Some can happen here. Not a lot in a church building with a big assembly. A little more can happen in a classroom. But the best intimacy happens around a table. Sharing a meal together. And then look straight ahead beyond me. Who is God putting in your path? By his providence, Whose path is crossing your path that he wants you to see and notice and develop a friendship with? See, I don't want us to just simply be the church. Let's be the church simply. By going back to the basics, trying to be less busy so we can focus on the things that matter most. So every morning this week, start looking upward Inward, around, and outward. And consider what it means to be the church. So we'll be coming to church, but we'll become better at being the church. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, <clears throat> we are so indebted to you. We owe you a great debt of love. I pray, our Father, that we will increasingly become the church you want us to be. Thank you for the heritage we have that's so rich and full. Thank you for all those who have gone before us. And I thank you for what's ahead. And may we be true disciples. I pray there will be no bystanders among us. But we'll be all in for the purpose of glorifying the name of God and peopling heaven forever and ever. In Jesus' name.